to introduce the message today. I want to tell you a story of something that happened this past week um, at the morning bus stop, the place where I take my kids to pick up their bus and go to school for the day. And each morning, Amanda and I, we walk our kids to the end of the street. And while they're at the age that we don't really need to anymore, it's nice to know that they got on the bus and they're going to school. And, and it's just an opportunity for us to get to know our neighbors. But Landon and Kinsley and I, we always joke around about the imposter buses, because while we're waiting for our bus to come, there's like five or six other buses that zoom by, and they're always empty, and I'm like, where are you going? And I'm sure they're going to pick up other kids, but we call them like, oh, that's an imposter bus, because we start getting ready to go, and then it's like, oh, fooled ya, zoom. Well, this one day, I think it was Monday or Tuesday this week, and uh, our bus was coming, and I'm like, yes, here it is. But the imposter bus got caught behind our bus. So it had to stop when our bus stopped. And what was so special about this is that as the kids were lining up to get on our bus, there was one boy who looked back at, at this other bus and he noticed that the bus driver was his afternoon bus driver. And he kind of like, you know when you were a kid and you see your teacher out in public and you're like, whoa, they exist? Like, that's kind of what this kid had, like this look of shock and awe. And then it went to excitement and he's waving and, and she waved back, which he gets even more excited about. And, and then he starts telling all the other kids like, hey, that's our afternoon bus driver. So then they all start going through the same process of shock, awe, and then excitement. And, and they're all like lining up and waving. And this bus driver, she breaks into tears. She just covers her face and just starts bawling. And I'm assuming they were tears of joy. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but what's just so cool, though, is that she just, there was this moment where these kids are all lined up waving at her, and they're so excited that it's their afternoon bus driver. And I just had this moment where I felt like she was seen. Like, she broke into tears because she's like, hey, I'm not just a bus driver. I'm not just picking up these kids and dropping them off. Like, I'm making an impact in their lives, and I'm actually seen for who I am. And I believe this is a good illustration or a good reminder of what often happens in our own lives. Like, you see, we start taking on responsibilities, and we go to work, we do our tasks, we get our paycheck, we spend our paycheck, so then we have to keep doing it all over again. And ever so slowly, little by little, barely even noticeable at first, we start taking on a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and we're just slam-packed. So then we get a little bit more efficient, we get a little bit more aggressive, we take on another job, maybe some student loan debt, a car payment, a girlfriend who becomes a wife, who gives us a baby, who then is in diapers, and another baby, and then you're at soccer and dance and ballet, you know how the story goes. But then you start feeling this, this sense of being rushed all the time, anxious, overwhelmed with all that you have to do, and there's simply not enough hours in the day. And so if you're like me, you try and squeeze in a little bit more and you start burning the candle at both ends. And we try to become a little bit more efficient. We analyze lines at the grocery store. Okay, which one's going to get me through quicker? And then if you're like me, you might even multitask in the bathroom. <laughs> don't pretend like you don't know what you're talking, what, what I'm talking about. Doing business while we're doing business. <laughs> so let's just be real. Want to be real? 
But I wonder how many of you would also say, in addition to feeling rushed, that occasionally, maybe even often, you're just feeling disappointed in the way that your life is going. Kind of thinking, this isn't what I had envisioned or wanted or even dreamed. And because of the pace, because of the intensity, sometimes you start to think, is there something missing? I have no time to do things that I want to do, no time to do things that I love, or worse yet, I don't really have time for people that I love. And you might start to ask yourself, is life really supposed to be this way? So what if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life you want may be the life that you're living? I want to say it again. What if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life that you want may be the life that you're living? So the title for today's message is When You're Too Busy for What Matters. So, Father, we just pray right now in the power of your spirit and in the truth of your word that you would speak to us in a way, God, that will lead us not just to the truth of Jesus, but also empower us to live the way that Jesus lived and to love the way that Jesus loved. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So confession, the message that I'm going to try and preach to you today is a difficult message because it goes against everything that I actually do. (laughs) It's the opposite of how I live. In fact, each year I meet with Pastor Steve at Gateway, who's my boss, and we review my annual objectives and some goals for the year. And a couple years ago, a couple years ago, he told me that my goal was to keep my butt in the seat. And what he meant by that was you need to stay focused on the task you're working on and you need to finish it. Because if you know me, it doesn't take long to hang around me and see, like, I sit down and I start working on one thing, then I'm like, ooh, I can go do this and I can go do that. And I like just being spontaneous and doing different things. And if I have errands to run, I'd much rather do errands than sit there and type and think sometimes. And Part of it is the way I was raised. I wasn't raised in in a pastor's family, and I was raised with a a family that had their own business, and it was about going, going, going. So my family would always make fun of the pastors, like, oh, you only work one day a week. Like, we actually work every day. So I kind of carry that with me to this day. When I'm just sitting there studying, I feel that insecurity. (laughs) But I'm not quite the guy who says, well, the devil doesn't take a day off, so neither do I, or I'll slow down when I get to heaven. But I do know how to slow down, enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning, but I have a hard time living that way, pacing myself, letting some of the things that aren't important fall to the wayside. And I'm guessing that most of you can relate to this because we wear busyness as a badge of honor in our culture. It's like, how are you doing? Busy. Or like we ask, are you busy? Keeping busy? It's like, oh, absolutely busy. Like, nice. Good job. And so I'm guessing that a lot of you are busier than you know you should be. Because we've got places to be, jobs to do, bills to pay, kitchens to clean, kids to raise, news to read, bias news to read so that we get more angry too and do things about it and mow the lawn, clothes to wash and clothes to wash and clothes to wash and clothes to wash, (laughs) photos to take, captions to write, soul-numbing Netflix series to binge. And just because the pace of life is what it is, you find yourself going faster and faster and faster until you're sprinting, like you're on this treadmill of life. 
and you don't, you realize that you don't have time for things that you wish you had time for. You don't really have time for a meal with your family, or you don't have time for deep conversations with friends. You don't have time to rest and reflect and really enjoy the intimacy with our Heavenly Father. We just don't have time. But the good news is, neither does anybody else. So it's like, well, it must be okay, right? We're all just living at that pace. Everybody else is busy, so it must be God's will. But what if I told you the greatest enemy to the life that you want to live may be the life that you're currently living? And that's why we're in this message series called A Better Way. And I intentionally planned it for the month of June because I knew that everyone would be exhausted. It's just kind of a rhythm we get into. And you get there and you're like, ah, it's June. I just want the summer to come. But we're not just going to look at the truth of Jesus, which we will always do, but we also want to examine in this series the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved. And in fact, when you look at the Gospels and take a step back, it's pretty fascinating to think about the way that Jesus lived. He had three years of public ministry. That was it, just three years, and he was done. And in those three years, he embraced the Father's mission He recruited this heavenly team of 12 ragtags. He trained them in kingdom values. He endured the hatred of the Pharisees. He resisted the temptation of the devil. He healed all sorts of sick people. He loved all sorts of hurting people. He preached the word of God fearlessly, and he fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies. But Jesus never once ran. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. When you read the Gospels, there's no record of him ever running or jogging or fast walking (laughs) or skipping or sprinting. Jesus was busy, but he was never rushed. He never said to his disciples, shoot, boys, we're behind schedule. Let's pick it up. Let's go, go, go. Thomas is late. Well, let's leave him behind. Teach him a lesson. We need to get to Capernaum. We've got to get there right now. Jesus was busy with important stuff, but he was never rushed on the inside. He never once ran. In fact, I'm going to show you a phrase from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And this is a phrase you can see over and over again in other gospels. And the phrase is this. Mark said this about Jesus. As Jesus walked along. Say that with me, actually. As Jesus walked along. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. And as I was thinking about Levi, it was fascinating to me that if Jesus was unrushed and followed, if if Jesus was unrushed and Levi chose to follow Jesus, then he must have been living an unrushed life as well. And then I thought about our lives. If we follow an unrushed Jesus, we should be living an unrushed life. But the way I live is very different from the way that Jesus lived. So if you find yourself living where the pace is picked up beyond what you expected you're often rushed or stressed or overwhelmed or exhausted, trying to get it all all done, always falling short, Jesus invites you to come. He invites you to come to him. If you're worn out, if you're overwhelmed, if you're burdened, he will give you something that many of you have not experienced 
in a very long time. He will give you a heavenly rest. I've been telling a few people this morning that last night I fell asleep by like nine, I think it was. The last thing I remember, I asked Amanda, I'm like, can you please make coffee and program it for 5.45 tomorrow morning? Then I put on my nose strip and fell asleep. (laughs) I woke up at six and uh, man, I feel energized this morning. Like sometimes, like I'm already feeling energized when I come to church, but I'm refreshed and I'm like, I've got to keep doing this. But then I joked with Chris that the funny thing is, is I know how good I feel, but tonight I'm probably going to stay up till midnight again, binging Netflix or some show that Amanda and I are trying to catch up on, and then tomorrow being like, oh, why did I stay up late? It's a trap. But Jesus is saying, hey, come to me. We looked at a text last week, and I want to revisit it again. We looked at Matthew 11 from the New International Version. So today what I want to do is I want to read it from the translation known as the message. And this isn't a word-for-word translation. It's more of this a loose paraphrase. And it's even a devotional-type translation from a guy named Eugene Peterson. And he translates it this way. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then Jesus says this. He says, walk with me. Not run, but walk with me and work with me. Do it at my pace. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Jesus says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus is saying, Come away with me and you'll recover your life. This life that you're so desperate to live, that how you were created and designed to live. Come away with me and you'll tap into that. Walk with me. Watch how I walk. Watch how I love. Watch how I live and walk with me. So don't just believe what Jesus believed. Do that. (laughs) But also live the way that Jesus lived. So again, let's think about the way Jesus lived for a moment. For his 33 years, he was called to be perfect and to save the world. His mission was to give his life, and he waited 30 years before he initiated public ministry. And it's fascinating to think about what Jesus did once he started. He was baptized by God the Father. The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And the father says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And God actually affirms him before he publicly goes into ministry and does any miracles. And so Jesus is commissioned to change the world. He's ready to go out and do what he was created to do. And what's the first thing he does? He takes a sabbatical. That's what he does. The spirit leads him out to a dry place, a desert for 40 days. And I think it's kind of funny because it's like, imagine we bring on our summer interns and then we're like, all right, you're here for nine weeks, eight or nine weeks. And then the first thing they do is take 40 days off. It'd be like, wait, what? (laughs) Jesus has three years here. And the first thing he does goes out for 40 days, but he calls out to the father. He draws close to God. He's strengthened by God. He fights off the enemy and his identity is solidified in who he's called to be. He takes those 40 days to go and be with God. And then think about his first miracle. Where was it? It's interesting. It was at a wedding. 
Jesus went to a wedding, and he didn't like big time them, like, hey, I'm the son of God, I've got to bounce in a few minutes, but first let me just uh, get this party started. I've got other people to see, places to be. He didn't do that. He stayed until the very end, and when the party juice ran out, he turned water into wine. And he said, let's keep this thing going longer. Let's just enjoy being with each other. Another time, a synagogue leader came up to him, Jairus or Jairus, however you want to pronounce his name. He was a pretty important guy, and he's freaking out, though, that my little girl's dying, my baby's dying. You've got to come save her. And Jesus is like, I'll get there. And Jesus starts walking to go see this sick little girl. And as he's walking, another woman stops him who's been sick for 12 years. And as this other little girl is dying, he stops and is fully present with this other woman and heals her. So while Jesus has been taking his sweet, loving time, the first girl dies and the dad's just beside himself. But Jesus says, time is in my hands. And he comes over and he heals this girl. Like, it's crazy what Jesus does but the timing that he does it in. You look at it all the way down to his transportation choice. He's the son of God. If he's coming down on an animal, he could choose like a fast horse. Like, yeah, here I am, Jesus. But he chooses a donkey. And I ain't seen no donkey in a rush. They're walking animals. So if Jesus wasn't rushed and we're called to follow Jesus, if Jesus wasn't rushed in his soul, why do you think we are? Why are we? So I'm just a preacher. I'm not a counselor, so I can't really say, but here's my guess based on a lot of pastoral ministry. My guess is if we really simplified it, most of us are rushed over work pressure and pushing it because we're either running from something or we're running to something. Most of us, me, if I analyze it, I'm probably running from a place of feeling like I'm not enough. I'm not good enough, smart enough, funny enough not doing enough, kind of going back to my family upbringing. Like, I'm just a pastor. I work one day a week. But then I'm also running to acceptance. I want to know that I'm good enough. I want to be accepted for who I am. And I don't know what yours would be. You might be running from a past failure. You might be running from something that someone said about you. You might be running from an insecurity that you're going to overcome and you're going to prove them wrong. You're running from a hurt. You might be running from abuse or you're running to something. You've got a goal. You've got a vision. I'm going to get married. It's going to be so fine. He's going to love Jesus. We'll get matching Jesus tattoos or cross tattoos. Going to name our kids Mary and Joseph. So biblical. <laughs> but you're running toward success or an image. You're running toward popularity. You're running toward fame. You're running toward being liked. You want to be accepted. The problem for most people in today's culture, is you're chasing a life that will still leave you empty once you find it. What if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is actually the way you're living right now? Always rushed, always pushing. And some of you might be thinking too, like, you don't understand, preacher boy. I'm with your family. I got the full-time job. You work on Sundays. I literally can't get it all done. I can't slow down. There's too much moving. Well, I want to say very respectfully to everyone that you have time for what you choose to have time for. 
You do. You have time. You have time for what you choose to have time for. And if I can get up in your business just a little bit, the solution is not more time. The solution is more of what matters most. It's more of what matters most. And the reason why most of us don't have time for what matters most is because we're mindlessly spending our life on what doesn't matter. And I'm going to prove it to you. I could take any number of different illustrations, but I've chosen three that are incredibly common. So I'll show you them on the screen. So first of all, we have social media. Secondly, we have television. And third, we have games. So I'm sorry if this hits a little close to anyone, but how many of you are involved in some sort of social media? You're online, Facebook or Instagram. I'm always jealous of the people who aren't. Like, it's phenomenal. Well, did you know that the average person on social media, how much time do you think they spend a year? The average person spends 706 hours per year. So if, if you're on the younger side, you're probably doing well better than that. <laughs> but the average person, 706 hours. So if we, if we just compare it with a traditional workday, which is about eight hours, so we divide the 706 by eight normal workdays, that's about four and a half months of working hours that people spend on social media. Like, this is crazy. And then television is actually a little worse. Over 2,700 hours per year is spent watching television. Like, whatever popular show it is, we spend over 2,700 hours a year on this. So now, before we go to video games, I know this, this one, I don't want to be sexist, but I'm picking on the guys a little bit more on this one. It's just statistically, that's the way it lands. But I want you to know that I'm guilty as charged. So I grew up in the original Nintendo era of video games, like Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, Excite Bike, Knockout. Those are the games that I liked playing. And then I eventually upgraded to N64, and then we got like Mario Kart, and I see Trevor nodding, GoldenEye, that was an awesome one. And I still want to bring N64 and play it on this screen with the kids, but uh, I eventually then upgraded to PlayStation 2 when that came out because I was spending so much money at the arcade, if anyone remembers those, at Limeridge, that I thought, okay, this is actually going to save me if I spend $1,000 on this home entertainment system rather than going to the arcade. So I'm guilty of this. But the average guy by the age of 21 spends about 10,000 hours on video games. Now, that's not per year, but that's by the age of 21, 10,000 hours. What can you do with 10,000 hours? I'm going to give you some options. One thing you can do is if you work at $10 an hour, you can make $100,000. Like that's one thing. Another thing you can do is if you're an average reader, you can finish about 2,000 books. Another thing you could do with 10,000 hours, you could probably become a concert pianist. You can get your pilot's license. You can memorize the New Testament. You can get your undergraduate and graduate degree. Let's take it to relationships. You could possibly save your struggling marriage if you devoted that much energy to the person that you may be walking away from. You could possibly reconcile a relationship with a family member that's gone bad. 
You could perhaps have the most intimate relationship with your children that you ever imagined if you just put away the silly games and focused on what matters. Or you can just mindlessly waste your life on stuff that doesn't. And I'm speaking to myself here. I met Amanda just after I sold all my video games. Bad timing. Because then she never knew me with video games. So to get them back in the house has been a struggle. But during COVID, cha-ching, it worked. We got Nintendo Switch for the, for the kids. But after the first two weeks, I had already beat Luigi's Mansion or whatever. But it took me 23 hours to do. And I'm like, I spent 23 hours over two weeks doing this. Like, that's a lot of time. But what if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that you're living? So what do I do now? Well, the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I'm struggling too. I, I don't know. I'm working on it. I'm a fellow struggler. But I do have an idea. But I'm not going to give you a lot to do. I'm just going to tell you that if you don't slow down, God may make you slow down. And that's what he did for me. I told you last week that I often get really sick really fast or I injure myself severely doing stupid things, especially during seasons where I'm pushing hard. And I know you're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> I just came down with strep throat a couple weeks ago, and it was just at the end of a very busy season. And I've had to face my ongoing addiction to work, to movement, to adrenaline, and just call it what it is. And I've said this before, but I'm really getting serious about it. Things have to change. And I don't know about you, but when I'm sick and spent, burnt out, lying on my back because I'm injured, I often start thinking through, what's the purpose of everything? What's the meaning of life? Like, I go back to the basics. Like, who is God? And the answer at its core, the best answer is God is love. It's not just what he does, but it's who he is. And what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength. And to do what else? To love your neighbor as yourself. At the core of all that God calls us is to love, to be loved by him, to love him, and to love people on behalf of his love. The challenge is, and John Mark Comer writes about this in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, love is incompatible with hurry. And I'm always in a hurry. Love, the Bible says, Paul's first definition is love is patient. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you a prayer that I've been praying this past week. It's just one prayer. And I'm actually going to invite you or challenge you or dare you or double dog dare you to do this with me, to pray this prayer with me. Just first thing in the day, Whatever that kind of looks like for you, whether it's with your cup of coffee or as you're driving to work, but I'm going to challenge you to do it for seven days this week, every day. Just pray this, mean it, sit in it, and then see what God does as you ask him to do this. And the prayer is very simple. The prayer is this, God, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. God, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. 
Just take a moment now and just say it quietly. Just, God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. So what's going to happen if you pray that prayer? I don't know for sure, but I will tell you what God's been doing in me. And it's a deep work. It's a real work. And it's a healing work. The first thing that God's been doing in me is he's been teaching me to be present in the moment. I'm starting to recognize that I'm often there physically, but I'm not there mentally. And as I'm praying this prayer, I'm engaging with my children. I'm trying to leave my phone to the side. I'm listening to people when oftentimes my mind is spinning with different thoughts and ideas. I'm seeing needs in the lives of people that I was often too busy to see. I'm actually entering into the joy of hurting with people. There's this sense of fulfillment that comes with celebrating with people who are celebrating and to grieve with those who grieve. There's something rich about it to truly enter in to the pain and sit with them. And it's helping me to be present in the moment. The second thing it's helping me to do is choose what's important and to eliminate what's not. So I'm asking God to lead my steps, to help me walk slowly. And suddenly I'm just more aware that picking up my phone to look at something is not nearly as, the per- as important as the person who's sitting in front of me. It's helping me to say no to what doesn't matter and yes to what does. And there's a lot of things I end up drifting toward that don't really matter that much. And here's what you might find. And let me just say this clearly. You may say no to some good things right now in order to say yes to some better things. But just because you say no right now doesn't mean you have to say no forever. It may be a no for now, but not forever. And that's important because you might love, I don't know, hot yoga or gardening or playing on the softball team, but you've got a baby in diapers. Well, you might have to say no for now, but it's not a no forever. It's just a season because there's something more important. You have time for what you choose to have time for. So the solution is not more time. The solution is more of what matters. So this prayer is helping me be present in the moment, to choose what's most important, to eliminate what's not. And most importantly, it's helping me sense God's presence and recognize his voice. It's helping me to see him working in places that I was too busy to notice. He's prompting me to ask additional questions when I'm with somebody, not ending the conversation, but digging a little deeper. He's prompting me to pray more with people, and not just because I'm their pastor, but, hey, I'm your friend. How can I pray? He's taken me to a different level, and here's what I've noticed. As I'm walking slower with Jesus, he's helping me love him and experience him and love people, and I'm actually starting to become a little bit more like him. And I would think I was even telling you, Barb, on Messenger this week, that it's even transformed my driving. Just a little bit. I'm not perfect. I'm in training. (laughs) But this week, I really took last week's message to heart, and I'm like, okay, I need to live out what I'm preaching. I need to let it sink into my soul. And this week, if I got caught behind slow traffic on Binbrook Road or White Church or Regional Road 56, I took that time to actually just breathe and to say, God, what do you need to say to me right now? And there were times that then I'd get a text from Amanda, you need to get home quick, and 
then I'd make the pass. But for most of the time, I tried to just take that time to say, okay, God, I need to become more present to you. And any time I felt that urge, I would slow down. So my invitation is for you to join me for seven days and to pray and to see what happens every day. God, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. And here's what's so interesting. As Jesus walked all of his ministry, all of his life, following the will of the Father, where was Jesus walking? Jesus was always walking toward the cross. Day after day, step after step, moment after moment, he was fulfilling God's calling for him and expressing the deepest and most profound love for you. He was walking toward the cross. And so when we know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we don't just embrace the truth that he taught, but we also live and love the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved. And as I learn to walk with Jesus, I'm becoming more like him. And imagine if an angry, hurting, divided world, if there was a loving, caring, and united church walking slowly enough to engage with those who are far from God. Can you imagine to show the love of God who stepped out of heaven and came to earth in person? His, to live a perfect and sinless life who day after day walked toward the cross to give his life for you and to conquer death, to claim victory. If you're following Jesus, guess where you're walking? You're walking to lay down your life for something so much more important. The answer is not more time, it's more of what matters. You have time for what you choose for. So God, help us to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do that work in our hearts. And God, for anyone sitting here today who would say, yeah, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, I don't have the time, I'm just going to invite you to come to Jesus and invite you to just pray that prayer with me this week. Commit to doing that seven days and let's just see what God does in our lives and in the life of our church. God, help us to slow down, to walk with you slowly enough, to love you fully, to love people deeply. So if you're committing to pray that prayer with me over the next week, would you just lift up your hands right now? And I just want to pray with you over the week. and I'll be praying this as well. Thank you. Father, I thank you just for all the different ways that we're going to see you. I am expectant, God. And I pray for all the different ways that we're going to enjoy what matters most as you lead our steps. And as you direct us, God, help us to walk with you, to be willing to be interrupted by you, to see needs and people and feel joy and that we may have the opportunity and honor of helping meet needs. And God, even bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. God, I pray that there might be healing, that there might be reprioritizing, 
we pray that your truth would sink deep within our hearts, that we would have time to do what you've called us to do. God, help us choose what matters most. Help us to love you, to love your people as we're loved by you. And as we keep praying, just what if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that you're living? Maybe you've been trying everything to make you happy. Been filling it with jobs, relationships, money, homes, countertops. I don't know, God. You do. But maybe if you're sensing that you're still coming up empty, maybe it's just because you're trying to fill a God-shaped void with something that's not God. You're a spiritual being created by God to know his goodness. And nothing in this world will satisfy you but Jesus. So God, I pray that this morning we just say yes to Jesus. That we enter into your presence. And that we recognize there is a better way. There is a better way. His name is Jesus. And when we call out to him, you hear our prayers. past will be forgiven. You become new. So I invite you, if you're just desperate for his grace, for his love, for his forgiveness, well, today, just surrender your life. And God, as we all surrender and re-surrender to the Lordship of you, I just ask that you continue to do a work in our hearts. Forgive us of our sins. Be first in our lives. Fill us with your spirit so we can know you and serve you and follow you. Lead us in your ways to love like you love and to live like you live. We pray this in Jesus' name.